Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Mental Sweet Spot podcast. Getting your players to go beyond their comfort zone. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. If you're a podcast returner, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by my business partner, Alicia Smith, for another coach interview. Today's guest has his doctorate in sports psychology and uses his training to help his players redefine their horizon and reach unexpected new heights. Described as clever, innovative, and hardworking, he has consistently helped his pitching staffs improve. He's coached at some of the top programs in the nation, including Louisiana Lafayette, and his current position where he helped his pitchers set a program-best ERA this past season. He also has extensive high-level experiences as a fast-pitch softball player himself. He's been playing at the major level of the North American Fast Pitch Association as both a pitcher and an outfielder. He was voted MVP and was 16-time NAFA All-World Team Selection. He was also inducted into the NAFA Hall of Fame. In this episode, we discuss reaching your full potential with mental toughness, challenging yourself and pushing yourself past your comfort zone, how trust between coach and player allows the players to play freely without fear of making a mistake, earning respect through honesty, consistency, and trust, and having a system to implement mental training. For today's freebie, since our guest unknowingly gave us the perfect testimonial for our business, we'd love to share with you our updated mental game strategy. We recently sat down a revamped strategy to make it clearer and more actionable so you can start creating your system for implementing the mental game today. Now, without further ado, we are so excited to share the stories and strategies of Ball State's associate head coach, Josh Johnson. Welcome, coach. Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here. So, Josh, we, um, we've we well documented, uh, Melanie and I, our kind of discovery or aha moment when we realized that we were kind of missing, you know, maybe the mental part of the game or, or mental toughness in as a player. So how did you first kind of discover or learn about mental toughness yourself? The main time that, that I discovered all this was was in the in the line of fire. I've played at, at low levels. I've played at high levels um, in intense and important games. And I think that the only time to really feel that 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 feeling in the pit of your stomach, that that nervousness you cannot like duplicate, it is in the middle of a of a game or a tournament or something that's just super important. Whether it's important because of of uh, standings or important because that's what you you put the emphasis on. Um, that's when I learned that. So I think a lot of what I've learned in, in the mental toughness realm and um, through just sports psychology in general has been as a player in the moments where I feel all of that. Although I will say I'm more nervous now as a coach than I ever was as a player. Well, you you mentioned you kind of learned mental toughness as a player. But when, what as a player did you often struggle with? So, I was one of those people as a as a player in college. I, so I played three sports. I, I ran cross country, I ran indoor track, and then played baseball. And uh, I played at a D three. So, um, at the time, you know, I was I was that person that would go and I would train. I would I would lift six days a week. I would um, do two days. I mean, two days every single day, if not three days, you know, doing two track workouts in a, in a baseball workout or doing two baseball workouts in a track workout. I was constantly doing things and constantly doing things to take care of my, my body. But what I realized is that I, I, I never really did get to my potential. You know, I, I mean, I was, the, I was the person that, you know, we'd do a home run derby at practice and I'd win, but I only hit two home runs a year you know, in games. And 
things that just didn't make sense. You know, I was I was the person that that always earned the spot at shortstop and then lost it in the middle of the season. And I, I what I realized was I really didn't take much time to focus on the mental side of things. I, I didn't take much time to put myself in situations. I, I call it easy practice, but essentially I was doing a whole lot of things that I was really comfortable with. And what I wasn't doing was challenging myself, especially on the mental side of things. Like, you know, I had tons of friends and they were crazy, right? They wouldn't train. I mean, I had friends that would take classes on purpose in the middle of practice so they didn't have to practice. And those are the guys that are coming out and they're just smashing the ball every time or, or throwing shutouts. And, and I'm sitting there going like, you know, and of course, as, a, as, a, as the person that works super hard, I was sitting there going like, you know, this doesn't make sense. You know, it's not fair. But at the end of the day, uh, what they had mastered and I had not was the the ability to shut off their inhibitions and challenge themselves to or or even have an expectation of a higher level than than they were at. It was two years after my my college playing days. I was already playing um, major men's fast pitch for the number 16 ranked team in the world, starting shortstop. But now that I look at it as a as a coach, I sit there and go, shoot, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't I wasn't pushing myself in practice on the mental side of things to get myself ready for those games. So if you could take all those lessons you learned and package them up for your players, what would be the one or two lessons you would tell them now to start training that? The first thing I do, right, is to try and get them to get my players to understand that they're capable of so much more. I'm constantly trying to get them out of their comfort zone. I'm trying to get them to understand that they need to drive like a race car in the last lap. They need to be a little bit out of control. They need to find speeds that they have never seen before. And they need to find gears that they didn't know they had. That's the that's the part that kind of breaks that mold. And, and I think everybody stays in this, what I like to call a known outcomes zone, where they want to do things that are comfortable because they know what's going to happen there. Okay, well, if I throw this pitch all the time, well, I know what's going to happen. Right. I'm going to be at this level and I'm, you know, I can be fine with that um, versus, you know, what if I learn a new pitch? What if I throw that same pitch only five miles an hour harder? What if I'm able to mix a change up or control at a level? I've never done that before. Everybody likes being comfortable. I mean, everybody enjoys sitting there and not having expectations on them. But but I think the people that really kind of break through and realize that there's more to life than just what's handed to them or, or what's um, in front of them that they know they can achieve and attain. I, I think that's when you start to really get the essence of what sports are supposed to be about in the first place. And so I, I use the analogy of the edge of the horizon, right? Anybody can look across the water and see and see where the where the water ends, right? But to 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 think and imagine what could be out there after that or what what is on the other side of that, you know, and, and not fear that. That's what's important. So taking that from what I was as a player to then helping my players, I'm constantly trying to get them to think, okay, what's beyond that horizon might be something incredible, might be something amazing that nobody's nobody's done before. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it. Um, and you can't handle that. And and you know slowly slowly um 
I start to wear them out and they start to, <laughs> you know, look at things differently. I love that. Do you have an example of a particular player who really turned the corner? That um, I can always relate back to this past season where, you know, I had a pitcher who wasn't a pitcher. She was recruited as a shortstop utility. And last year we discovered that she could throw a little bit. I mean, she hadn't thrown in three years, but she was, she was popping 62, um, 62 in our world means 66. So we'll get her there. And we got her there by the season. Um, and two years ago, that was, you know, we we're just trying to figure th- things out this year. She became our, our number one pitcher. And, wow. but it w- it was more or less us figuring this, you know, where the horizon was together. So we sit there and we'd have so many discussions on what we were both looking for. Um, she had a changeup that was that was incredible, but she didn't believe in it, right? And so part of it was me discussing with her like the importance of a changeup, regardless of what the outcome is. As long as you aren't getting a hit over the fence, then we need to throw it. And we need to throw it for these reasons. And then she started to gain a little confidence in the course. That becomes the swing and miss pitch. Um, it becomes a pitch that really kind of makes her our, our number one pitcher. And so the wrench in the plan, the other best pitch she had was a was a screwball that was really a rise ball. But uh, it sorry, was. It is really a rise ball. Um, she has a stress reaction in her arm. So she's limited now all of a sudden on how many times she can throw it. This is her, her best hard pitch, and we could only throw 10 of them. So we had to kind of mix it in. So w- what do we do? Well... What's the one thing that, that doesn't hurt? What's well, her fastball? And I kid you not, we, we decided to sit there and go, okay, well, how can we recreate the fastball in a useful, dynamic situation? So we literally spent most of the season throwing um, probably at least 70% fastballs because it's all we had. So you start to go, okay, well, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at the horizon thinking that there's more beyond that but the funny thing is now we're going to take the most basic pitch we have and and try to recreate it into an effective what we term pitch to contact pitch i think she's a good example we have we have a lot of examples carolyn this past year um learned a new changeup, which was an off-speed rise ball she just couldn't get a changeup without slowing down she couldn't master that and so we're goofing around one day i'm like well let's try this and it's like a, a light bulb moment. It one day just clicked on it. It's really hard because nobody else throws that pitch, right? So when you're trying to teach somebody something that they've never seen before, talk about a leap of faith. And I kid you not, the first time she ever threw it to a batter that it, where, it, where it kind of worked and everything clicked in, oh, that was, I mean, that was the selling point because the person looked so dumbfounded. It, it was, you know, you know, it was great, you know, and, um, she ended up finishing off the year with 10 straight shutout innings, which was awesome, which is uh, finishing off her career, by the way. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. But, you know, that's the biggest challenge as a coach is either A, believing in a pitch that everybody told you a long time ago was not effective in college, <laughs> a fastball, <laughs> or learning a pitch that nobody's ever heard of. And you're just sitting there going like, well, let's try this. That those leaps of faith are, are, I think, sometimes the hardest part as a coach to convince your players that those things can be effective. But at the end of the day, 
I think without the creativity, you know, without thinking on that level, like what can we do here? Um, we we don't solve any problems, you know. So with those two, we were able to solve problems and shoot, you know, had a staff ERA under two five this year. That's very impressive. I uh, I noticed that you said several times that you have a lot of conversations with your players. Um, that's my favorite part of, of being a coach is those conversations and, and practice and, and implementing. So can you dive a little bit deeper into, you know, exactly what you talk about and how, how do you translate that with your players to the mental toughness and the mental part of the game? Okay. So what I learned over the past, especially three years, because I've been calling pitches for the last three years, you know, as I'm starting to call the pitches, what I started to realize was that, there's a different language that I speak sometimes, sorry, not sometimes, all the time. Um, and, and then, but the, the main, the main part of our conversation is to understand what each other wants out of everything. And so when, you know, my pitchers, this is why we break down the silos. My pitchers need to be able to ask me questions like, when you call this pitch, what do you want? And then I'm able to explain it in terms that relate to what we're trying to do. Um, and so most of our conversation really is based upon our interpretation of everything. It, once I've once I've gotten somebody to understand what I'm talking about as a movement, then I can get them to understand what I'm saying. So if they don't feel it, if they don't understand it um, kinesthetically, then they're not going to understand it when I say uh, you're opening your hips or you're closing off. To it. Then that doesn't make any sense. But if I can explain it to them through movement, then they can understand that. So that's part of it. Obviously, um, I try to build in the kinesthetic factor to it too. But but realistically, during during season especially, most of what we're talking about is our interpretation of the situation. So um, Asia came in. You know, she was on a roll. You know, she was one of the top pitchers in the conference going into the season, and then had three bad weekends. So you know, we we decided we're going to sit down and watch some film, and the two of us kind of sat there and just talked about okay. You know, mechanically, what are we feeling? Okay, what else are we missing? What we were really doing is having the conversation on the interpretation of what's going on, right? The you know, I'm trying to explain to her what I'm seeing. She's trying to explain to me what she's feeling. But honestly, it it, it was one of the most important times because if you if you look at the stats from there on in, you notice that she didn't give up hardly anything. And I think with all of my pitchers. That's what we're getting through those conversations is this understanding between us, you know, individually. And then, um, you know, what what I was trying to really get accomplished as a as a staff. I love that. Really, you're building rapport and the relationships with your players every single bullpen. So what would you say is the turning point that allows you to almost convince them of that new horizon that it is possible? The word that jumps to my head right away is trust. I think that, number one, I'm frank with them. And they're comfortable and they trust me enough to be frank with me. We have this incredible honesty in our relationship. I'll never forget, you know, this is this is Asia and I in general. So Asia has had a history, and I'm not talking about hundreds of pitches. I'm talking about four or five pitches where she has read the sign wrong. And obviously we're using a card system and um, we're down in Florida. I call a change if she throws a cutter and, um, 
if this thing's on target to the catcher, it probably takes the catcher out for the weekend. But it isn't. It went to the screen, and and you know I was frustrated. So um, I said something to the effect of, "Olivia, can you go out, go out there and show Asia how to read a card?" Which, of course, the first thing is is number one, terrible on my part, because that is embarrassing to the player. And when you embarrass the player, that that's just an absolute slap in the face, and that's when you lose kids. And, and to her credit, I didn't lose her. I mean, she stuck the next kid out in three pitches and skipped the team huddle, walked straight around. I knew it was coming. So she walks all the way down through the dugout, all the way to me. And, you know, she's mad. And she, she lets me know about it. And I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. And uh, it's so funny because, you know, I, I tell other coaches that. And they're like, she told, she told you off like that? I'm like, well, she was right. You know, she was right. And she has to have the trust to be able to come to me. And she didn't do it unprofessionally. She didn't do anything to try and embarrass me. She said it how a mature adult woman should approach that situation with somebody that, quote unquote, although we don't act like that, uh, is, is her superior. And, you know, but that's the trust you have to have with those kids, right? Because then the next thing is, how do we grow? Well, how do we grow is we, we have to come up with something. I have to be able to tell her, you're first team all conference, and that's not good enough. And she knows that I'm being honest, and she trusts that I see something in her that's greater than what she's done and maybe greater than she ever thought she could do. And so that's got to be the, the basis uh, for, for, for what, what I'm trying to do because the next step is going to be something out of comfort zone. And so she's going to have to trust, number one, that I've paid attention, that I know what I'm doing, and that I only want the best things for her. And that's, I think, the number one thing that coaches need to get across to their players right away. You can't just be the coach and earn that respect. You have to earn that respect through honesty and through consistency and through trust. And what I've learned, too, is you have to trust them before they trust you. That just is kind of the building block for all that stuff. you got to be honest with them before they're honest with you. I totally agree with you. I feel like that's been one of the strengths, I would say, from my coaching perspective is that building those relationships with these kids because they're so important you know, to me as people first, and they know that. And building that trust with them has just done wonders with that trust, you know, and, and being able to get the most out of them, you know, because they can also come to you and have those conversations and tell you, coach, we're just, we're really tired. Um, mm. Or, you know, I think it's better that we have a day off today, which doesn't happen often, but if you ask them, they'll tell you. And I mm. think that those little things go a long way when it, and it translates onto the field. So I think that's, that's great. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you think is missing um, when it comes to coaching the mental part of the game in softball? I think that what books do for me is they give me ideas. And those ideas have to be developed into a system. And that system is just as important as your drill system to learn a rise ball. It's just as important to learn how to hit, how to field, how to throw, how to do anything there's got to be a system involved meaning that you have things set up in advance where you're going to address the the major issues that are consistently going to happen with your players like mental toughness right we all know every player 
is going to get that moment in their career in that season that you're about to play where they're going to get the butterflies in their stomach because the situation is going to get heavy. If you don't have a system developed in place, then you can't prepare them. And if you can't prepare them, then then you're you're always going to be behind the eight ball. You know, I read a lot of stuff about the Navy SEALs. And not that we ever put anybody through military training, but there's just something about learning how to be calm around people shooting at you when you're, you can't train that way. You can't actually shoot bullets directly at the people or you will kill them. But I sit there and I go, okay, well, let me think about that. Is there a way that I can recreate the conference championship game and the last out and doing it with, with the bases loaded and two outs? Is there any way I can recreate that feeling? No. And, and, and the Navy SEAL guys will tell you that that's the case too. You, you can't recreate the feeling. What you can do is you can train the response. And so what I've tried to focus on in my own personal system is understanding and training the response to those heavy situations. Because what ultimately kids will fall back on is, is what they're comfortable with. Well, if they're comfortable with training in the uncomfortable, then they'll fall back to that. You know, Carolyn's going to be a lawyer. She's going to be in a courtroom one day and she's going to be under fire and she's going to all of a sudden get a monkey wrench thrown her way. A witness that didn't tell her something, a situation that hadn't been brought up in, in interrogation, that, that all is going to happen. So she ultimately has to be trained to be able to understand, okay, what's my go-to? Is my go-to response, um, 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 or is it to sit there and go through her techniques and be able to come back intelligently and swiftly with a response that is going to win the case. That's what I'm aiming for. So I'm aiming for them to start to basically get that plan in their head. I kid you not. We're facing Michigan this past year. Asia's on the mound. She's throwing a gym. We're tied two to two. And our center fielder had caught and made a great catch against the wall. When she hit the wall, her glove turned over the fence and dropped the ball over the fence. Oh. And so that's that's one of those runs. The, the runner on third base, there was a runner on first, ground ball to the second baseman. Our second baseman um, kind of hesitated a little bit. If she would have run forward, the runner would have hit her, and it would have been an easy interference call. So there's two outs, and it's 3-2 count with the bases juiced. And I call a changeup. And the cool thing is, is Asia didn't look at me. She didn't hesitate. She just grabbed the ball, threw it, went a little high, freaked the batter out. The batter buckled, and the ball was just a little high, and we lose the game. But she's ready for that moment. You know, she was ready for that moment, even though there were obviously she, you know, she had walked a person. I think she had also hit a person in that inning. She was ready for that moment. That was cool. And when we got to the conference tournament, she was ready for those moments that came at her. And so I, I think that what we're really missing right now is a system. I think most people try to wing it or try to do verbal cues or do some sort of game, but they don't really have a thought process on how to train their players for all sorts of different mental things. For failure, we live in a world where most of the kids that are coming to us haven't failed that much. And if they have, they've been given the excuse by whatever coach or parent or whatever, you know, I mean, like every single one of these kids come in and we have a, a strength program built for them right away. We know how we're going to get you to squat 250 pounds. And it's easy. It's a system. We're going to build you up. We're going to build you up. And then you're eventually going to do that. But we don't have that for our mental game. 
And I'm sure every single coach would identify similar things, the failure aspect, the mental toughness, the gratitude. Gratitude's another great one. And so I think that once we start to understand a better system for everything and people start to really share those systems, then we're going to do so much better. Um, you know, the, the hitting and pitching summits both happened this past week. There's no mental training summit. That's what I thought. I'm going to reach you know, out. <laughs> I, I'm in. But the reality is, is that those things are just as important. In fact, I think most people would agree, uh, including Yogi Berra, that it would be 90% more important <laughs> Very true. Than, the, than the other half of it. I think that as we start to develop these systems and do this stuff, and we start to do things like have a mental training summit. And I'm big into uh, masterminds, right? Mm -hmm. Where everybody brings something to the table. You're, you're all coming there with something to say. And you start to steal ideas from one another. I'm big on that too. And I think that we build the trust that people are sitting there ready to go and ready to do what we're asking them. Then you can build that culture pretty quickly. It doesn't take five years to do it. You can do it in a, in a year or so. Mm -hmm. Well, to all of our podcast listeners, we did not pay Josh to shamelessly plug our business because you <laughs> basically just outlined everything that, that honestly we believe in, the things that we're trying to do with our business, the reasons why we got into businesses because we feel all those things are missing. So down to the fact that we have a mastermind. So I think that that's <laughs> honestly, it was like, it was like we told you to say it and you did, but that's not true. But um, well, that was really cool to hear. Well, it must be a great minds thing to like. This is great. That's what we were that we were thinking the same. And one of my favorite comments you made was um, the game against Michigan. I felt like you really celebrated your pitcher's win because she was fearless throwing that changeup, and it was not based on the outcome. And I think mm -hmm. that that's that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I think one of the things that I've always believed in, in as far as anything that we've done through research and that kind of stuff is it has to be applicable. We have to be able to sit there and, and not only apply it to one person, but to apply it to a team. It's a totally different thing when you're trying to apply everything to a team. And that means you're going to have to apply it to different people, different, uh, different backgrounds, different personalities, different everything. And so you've got to find things that, that are, consistently trainable that's the strength of of any coach and any psychologist is that you have to really truly understand the person across from you even in that moment it might not be an overall thing that you get right it might be just that moment how that person's feeling or dealing with things and how they're interacting with their world in that in that space um right there and sometimes it's in that space right before practice and right mm -hmm. before games and all that stuff, um, sometimes it's it's in the middle of it, you know, or a certain event that always takes place. Uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, in training with Carolyn um, that I started to learn is is that moment that that she it's it's not necessarily cracks, but she changes. She changes how she's viewing her performance at the time. And so identifying that and in, in, in talking with her about that situation in that moment, because every single player wants to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. Right. 
And the reality is, is until you can break that, um, you're not going to get what you really need to know, which is what are you feeling at this moment that you, you know, or in that situation, are you able to even tell me, are you able to verbalize what just happened? Because some of it's, it's subconscious, you know, it's, it's something that they're not seeing and they're not getting, you know, I, I was, I did write down a note to talk about, um, what happened with Asia in the, in the conference tournament. So the first game out, um, it, we're the two seed. We play in uh, Northern Illinois. We're up one to nothing. She's cruising, but she's tired. And I could tell that um, the sixth inning, um, kind of her telltale signs of fatigue. And she got through it. And I should have pulled her there. Mm-hmm. It Totally on me. My closer was ready. My closer had, had shut them down every single time she threw against them early in the season. I didn't. I left her out there. She ends up giving up the game-winning run, um, and we lose. And you know, she asked me. Like I said, we have these great conversations. She asked me, "What? What should I have done there?" I said, "Absolutely nothing, other than pitch your butt off, which you did. It's my job in that moment to step in. I want you to want the ball. I never want that, and I never want that doubt in your head that I'm not going to know that going forward." I said, that was totally my mistake. And I want you to understand that because that's the effort I want you to give. You gave me a hundred percent every single time. And that's what, you, that's what I want. I got to know that you're 100% at that moment, at that, that particular moment, isn't going to get it done. And that's not anything on you. It's 100% on the situation. And so you do exactly what you did, which is go out there and give the best effort you possibly can. And I've got to make a better call next time. And what was funny is my even my head coach was like, I, I totally thought it was it was Asian. I said, no, no, I knew it. I knew it before she went out there, and and I didn't make the move. And and you know, and then of course what what my coach says is, what should I do in, in the next time? I said, you do nothing different. You got to read the situation like you read it. I need to read it like I did, and I I know her better than that, and that's my fault. And, you know, it's like, it's so hard but when you realize you're like, man, I screwed that up. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. You know, because realistically, we, we probably win the next game and then we go into the uh, the winner's bracket final fresh and, and ready to go. And, and, you know, we end up almost making it all the way back. We had one just disaster of an inning and, and, and lost the, the game to go to the championship um, on the way back. And in the middle of that, we threw a combined – no hitter against Toledo, who was the best hitting, other than us, the best hitting team in the conference. And, um, you know, we just had a great run, but it was like, you know, that one moment. And, you you know, and I said, next year going in, I don't, I want you to trust me that I'm never going to make that mistake again. So, yeah. Well, I don't think we could thank you enough for your time. Um, it was, it was awesome to talk to you today and to get your perspective and just thank you. It was great. Well, yes, I really appreciate you. it. I really appreciate it. I love sharing and uh, hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. And that's a wrap. Be sure to grab your free mental game strategy at mentalsweetspot.com forward slash strategy. Take Josh's advice and get a jump start on creating your own mental game system today. 
Thank you so much for spending your precious time with us. We hope you're enjoying the show. If so, scroll down to the ratings on iTunes and click five stars or head to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash reviews to leave five stars there. Let us know what you've learned and how you've implemented these tactics with your players. Have a great day. Hope to see you next week.